there's got to be a faster way to do that. <laughs> but what's up, everybody? Uh, John here. Uh, last time we did this show, Justin wasn't able to join us. And I was told I also never introduced myself. Uh, so I'm going to do that real quick now and kind of give you guys at least like the five second viewpoint on why we're even doing this podcast. Um, so for me, I've been working in the video game industry for about 10 years now, a little bit longer, actually. Started on the content side. I used to do a lot of stuff in Twitch streaming, actually. was a Twitch partner for a while, and I'm working as an attorney now after kind of doing some biz dev and some other things along the way. Uh, Super passionate about the video game industry, been working in it for a while, and I just wanted to kind of have some of those talks that you can, where you can dive a little deep into some of these business concepts that touch on some legal things and also give you guys some relevant and cool information. Uh, My thought process with the name Manual Save is it kind of is like that oh shit moment where I just would always kind of like stack saves in video games because I'm like, I need something to fall back on. You know, it's kind of that thing where it's like, okay, I know this is going to be important. It's going to be something I need to kind of have, you know, in my back pocket. And that's kind of what I want this podcast to be. Uh, So with that, I'm going to cut over to Justin real quick. And Justin is the creative director of 8 Prime Esports. And I'll let him kind of chat for a couple seconds. Uh, yeah, I'm just Justin Connors, uh, I'd say owner, founder, creative director of Prime Esports, uh, long history in creative and brand and content. And uh, my thing here was me and John do already had, already had a lot of conversations about a lot of things in the business uh, behind the scenes. And when John was like, I really have this idea for a uh, podcast that we can get in, you know, to a lot of really good conversations about the the business and the side of the things that people don't talk about often. Um, I was like, I, I love that. I want to be a part of that as much as possible. So, uh, you know, here we are and uh, I'm looking forward to having some great conversations. All right. So this week we're joined by Sean Pinnock, uh, CEO of CyberDream. Uh, they published uh, or released, developed, wow, I can't even speak today, uh, Virtual Battlegrounds out on Steam. Really cool VR Battle Royale game. I'll let him do a quick introduction and then we'll just kind of dive into it. Yeah, uh, great. I'm, I'm really, really happy to be here with you, John and Justin. Um, this should be really fun today. Haven't talked a lot about, you know, our, our journey uh, from conception to actual release of Virtual Battlegrounds. So this will be one of the first times we've really, really talked about it and dive into it. So really grateful to be here and excited to be talking to you guys. Awesome. Uh, glad to see you, Marco and Kyle in the chat. Um, so I just want to kind of like do a quick kind of look into virtual battlegrounds and kind of like how it even came to be about. So where exactly did that game idea come from? Cause I know you started working on this before battle Royales were like the thing that everyone thought of. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, kind of going back a bit, I've, I've always been a big fan of shooting games. I um, mean, you know, my brother and I, we grew up, you know, playing call of duty, uh, halo, all the, all the, you know, all the classics. I think we were like one of the first people to get the mile high club. If you know, the modern warfare achievement, uh, it was like really, it was like really prestigious at the time to get, it was like 0.01% of players out anyway. So I, I really, you know, really into the FPS genre as well as role playing game genres. But, um, you know, I had released a couple games at this point. I, you know, worked at electronic arts for a little bit and, um, I knew how hard it was to, to do indie. Um, I think where a lot of developers, uh, fail is they build a game that only themselves want to play. They don't think about their addressable market. And in uh, this is in 2017. Um, I started doing some pretty heavy market research. I had just finished a really good book that I can't remember the name of now because it's been a couple of years since I read it. But the, the premise behind the, the book was um, 
you want to figure out the success of your product before you build your product, right? Which in video games is extremely important if you're able to do this because uh, they take years to make and they cost tons of money. Um, so we had done a lot of market research and we figured out, hey, oh, battle rails are going to be huge. Like this game called PUBG, it's this, it's this pretty new game, but it's up and coming and it's really trending. I, this could be something that's huge in a few years from now. So um, I ended up making a Reddit post asking people about what games uh, they they wanted to see played. And one of the ideas that we, we put up was a battle royale and it was like reaffirming to, to what we had as our prior beliefs. Uh, and an overwhelming majority wanted to see a VR battle royale. Um, and then fast forward a few years, you know, we got Fortnite, we got uh, mm -hmm. Apex, we've got all these games, so many other games coming to the marketplace and, and it worked out pretty well for us in that regard. No, that's awesome. Yeah, it's actually uh, interesting because you came in, you know, obviously, you know, this word business and creative kind of always kind of bump heads to what they're going to make. And it seems like you guys came in right away already having those both in synergy with each other. Yeah, that's the that's the hard thing, honestly. Like as a creative myself, you know, I had built some games that in the past where it was like, oh, I really would love to play this game. And I didn't think about or does anyone else want to play this game? <laughs> and like uh, the games were, I mean, maybe like if we had executed better, I maybe they could have been really popular i don't know but uh they, they did okay right they did okay and, and it would have been nice to have thought about it a little bit more from a strategic perspective mm -hmm. which we did with virtual backgrounds so you mentioned some of the games you worked on previously for people who don't know what are those um well there's there's hundreds of them no one here is ever going to learn about because they're never going to make <laughs> it <laughs> or maybe they're like on itch.io somewhere uh, there's a bunch of little, little cool ones but the ones that you can go and look up right now uh, one's called black sea odyssey it's on steam it's on nintendo switch uh it's on xbox. xbox one yeah on all, the, on, all, on all the things right xbox you know just right you were one of the one of our <laughs> first guys to take a look at it when you were yeah. working at xbox or microsoft uh, sorry if that was loud. Um, and then uh, there's another game called Emerald I built, which was my first foray, my serious foray into VR. Um, and it's a kind of like a role playing game that, that we never really finished. It's on Steam. Um, it, it's okay. Virtual Battlegrounds is much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what did you learn during the process of making some of those early titles that helped you make Virtual Battlegrounds? So, I, I don't know if anyone here is. Um, you know, an indie developer or like an entrepreneur that wants to make games. But um, my, my advice to you, if you're coming right out of school and uh, let's say you're, let's say you have an engineering or development background like me or something along those lines or artists, et cetera, it's really, really hard uh, when you're coming out of school. And that's what I did right out of school was build a game, go to market. And we were able to, to barely justify the time we put into it. But I mean, we were in my mom's basement for a year and a half working on virtual or not on but a uh, black sea odyssey, my first game that I made when I was right out of school. And honestly, my advice to most people would be it's, it would be smarter to take a job at a triple A studio or a big studio and let them pay for you to make mistakes and learn and then go and start a company later. I, I you know, I had to learn the hard way, um, which was, you know, when I fail, you know, I'm not getting paid to fail, right? I, like, mm -hmm. I, I, it sucks. But, but I will say, I learned, uh, you know, so much. I think a lot, at least, in more in terms of entrepreneurship than I would have at a bigger company. Whereas at a big company, I might have learned more about engineering and, and have, like having a mentor there would have been really nice. I didn't really have that. Um, so that would kind of be my first initial advice for you guys: is right out of school, probably a bad idea unless you're just gung-ho and I was super gung-ho and, and it was a hard route to take. And I, we've made it work now, right? Like we're, we're somewhat successful now, but it's taken a long time. So, 
I understand too that uh, working for even like a bigger studio, you you can kind of take away what works for yourself as an independent and what works. I mean, if they're a bigger studio, like you know, obviously you work for somebody like EA, like they do do things well, they do do business well. So you have to, you can't discredit that. You have to look at the things and go, okay, these are the reasons why their titles have been successful. And you have, you know, if you're going to take those and adopt it for yourself, what better way than to work with some of the bigger studios first? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, after Black Sea Odyssey released. I took a job at EA because I was like, man, that was that was that was rough. Like, I want to I want to just get a nine to five. I want to sit at desk. I want to be told what to do. And I I learned a lot when I was there. I mean, I really like uh, one thing that EA does amazingly well is production. Like, they do not mess around when it comes to like deadlines, getting stuff done. Like, these guys are a well-oiled machine. And I took a lot of that, you know, home with me mentally uh, for, for future projects or anything else I do in life. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it definitely makes sense that some of those kind of just well-oiled processes that are being used by a bigger entity can kind of be used to kind of help you learn how to move forward more efficiently, you know, just because like, at least the way it is with uh, the school I went to and stuff, you know, they don't necessarily teach you how to run a law firm. They teach you how to think. I would assume that at least within game design, it's kind of similar they teach you how to think within the context of that. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Uh, you guys can hear me. So, right. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, game. So I was in the game design program at UCF, which I think was ranked like top five in the last few years for, for game graduate school. So really grateful to have been through that program. And my, my professor Gideon Shabib, um, he really like my main game design professor as well as Peter Smith. They, they really, it's a it's university education, right? They're not going to teach you all the hands-on things you need to know. That well, that we did learn a lot. The reality is, when it comes to, I, th I think almost anything in life, um, there's going to be a lot of things that you're just not taught, and you have to learn those things yourself. So a lot of it was critical thinking, right? Like how to mm -hmm. how to approach these things. I think the biggest thing that I really learned from university was um, design, like like how to think. Uh, and it's actually really complicated. A lot of people think, oh, you just make a game, but it's, it's actually really hard to make something fun. Mm -hmm. um at least i mean it depends right like sometimes it is sometimes it comes more natural depends on what the product is but it can be really hard like said so an idea you have in your head you go oh that'd be so cool but then taking that thing that abstract thing maybe like oh i'd love to make a game about like dragons fighting mm -hmm. uh space pirates in in uh in a galaxy right and, and i don't know that's so all right then how do you make that fun how do you actually play that and there's a, there's a huge process to that um definitely university taught me a lot about that process no, it makes sense. And then along uh, the way, I would assume then that I was—I feel like you. We all, we all say this about every business, but assuming net, your networking along the way has been important as well, and the people you've met and worked with as you've been building. Absolutely, and I would say it depends a lot on the type of business, and um, you know the type of entrepreneur. You know, there's a lot of game studios out there that have been hyper successful through just making a good product. And I think it's one of the cool things about our industry is you cannot be a business person, you cannot be an entrepreneur, you can be super introverted. And you can be super successful just by making good enough product and be a good enough artist or whatever it is. I know that for me individually in the way I run my company, um, I consider myself to uh, be more well-rounded, I think, uh, where I'm, I'm, I'm able to do a lot of the networking and I'm able to do a lot of the other things. Uh, so I use that to my advantage and it has absolutely been huge. I think it, like, it really depends on the kind of game studio you want to build, right? Like if you want to have an indie house with five or 10 developers, um, then, then just being a good developer is probably what you need. But if you want to grow a company to 100, 200 employees, which is my my goal, um, and and build bigger products, you know, compete in in the main 
uh, in the main workplace, right, with these bigger companies, I think you do need more of a business mind or you need to align yourself with people that have that business mindset and then that networking skill set because those things do go a tremendous way. So how far into your market research, even for when you're making the game of, obviously VR Battlegrounds is a VR game, but were you set on VR from the jump or were you, did you teeter or do you're like, no, we want to make a, a virtual, reality, virtual reality BR from the jump? So, so VR for me personally is my passion uh, as well as gaming. Those are my, those are my two passions. Um, from there, it was a business decision. I, I knew going into VR that it's not a very big marketplace. I will say the one advantage someone like me has over non-VR is um, uh, the the space isn't as competitive, right? Like if I were to make the game that I made and made it not for VR, no one would play it because Call of Duty Wars don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to compete against smaller companies, right? And, and, and still have a fighting chance. Uh, so there was a good amount of market research done, but it wasn't before. And, it, I, and I do know a lot about VR and a lot about the market and that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of research has been on there, especially when I was out trying to raise money. I, I had to do a lot of that research. But um, it, for me, VR was first a passion, and I'm just going to do that no matter what. And that's going to be the way that my life goes, uh, generally speaking, is the way CyberDream's going to go. But beyond that, then the market research really started happening. And, and really, uh, the, the biggest thing that I think I did, and I th this has turned out pretty good, but I think there's better ways to do it. Uh, after I kind of did my initial market research, is I, I did a lot of my research directly by interfacing with my community. Like, okay, what do you guys want to do? What do you guys want to see? And literally the virtual battlegrounds is almost a community driven development. Like there were a lot of ideas that I had and some things that I had in there, but it's mostly been like, what do you guys want? What do you think? And mm -hmm. it's been really fun to do it that way. And I, th I think it can work really well that way. I mean, Riot Games is a prime example of a company that did that. They're like the most successful game studio ever, like one of, right? <laughs> um, so I, th I think it just depends, but for us, it's the way we've done it. Yeah, since we're talking about some of that kind of market research stuff, was there ever a point where you were a little scared by the fact that you're doing a VR game, which is already a fairly small market, and then doing a multiplayer VR game. You know, because as much as people like to talk about the success of a game like Fall Guys right now, there's got to be a moment even for them where they were worried, are we going to be able to get 60 people in a lobby consistently enough after launch, you know? Yeah, that was my biggest fear, honestly, at the start of development. Um and it actually almost strayed me away from building virtual battlegrounds. I know that you know, we're, one, we're a really small company. Two, we don't have a big marketing budget, right? Uh, so there, there's just a lot of factors in place we didn't know, but we decided we'd go all in on it. And then we'd also build some uh, some game modes that didn't require multiplayer, right? So like right now you can play bots. And that actually is one of the problems that we're having right now is even though we're still probably a top 50 most popular VR title, we're not getting the player counts that we needed to have full matches back to back. It's really the only top 10 games do. Uh, we think we can get back up there. We got some marketing mm -hmm. plan for, for a holiday season, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, that, that was a big concern and, and it is a problem for us right now. Um, you know, we'll, hopefully the market grows. We're, we're not really so much concerned about the market. We're just, we're thinking about how do we build the game out to work better where there's only a few players, like maybe 10 or 15 players in the lobby, right? Or five players in the lobby. So we're, we're working with those kind of things. We have some of that in the game right now. Awesome. So let, let's jump back a little bit. Uh, you talked about building up a team. Um, you started this project just with yourself, right? How, how did you and when did you decide that you needed to bring people on? So, yeah, so um, I was overly confident in my skills. This isn't my first rodeo, right? I've built a lot of games. I've, you know, when I was in college, I built tons of little things. And like, I was just like did them on my own. It was like, bam, 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 knock it out. And every time I did something a little more challenging, a little more challenging, right? Like, uh, you know, making the game out of college and then doing some other projects. And it was like, okay, I, I think I can make 
virtual reality battle royale by myself in like a year and a half. So let's do it. And um, started Devin, and like six months go by, and I'm like, shit, this is not, this is not going to happen. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I was like trying to write all the code, I was doing all the art, all the level design, and I was like, this is going to take me forever, and the game's going to suck. And, and not only that too, but the the market was changing. Like, like games were starting to get better. And like in 2017, guys, like the big part of the reason I wanted to make this game is that there wasn't a VR battle royale. There weren't any like grand scale games. It was all wave shooters and crap. Mm-hmm. And then like to that mid 2018, there's a VR battle royale that came out. Um, called Standout. Uh, some of these other games, like Contractors, is another VR title. Like a lot of these games are looking good, and I'm like, I, I, if I'm going to compete, I have to grow my team. Uh, so yeah, I started. I raised some capital, John. Uh, you know, did some pitching. I actually put out some some early YouTube videos that uh, weren't very pretty. Mm-hmm. I'll say, but they got a lot of traction, and, and I was able to show those to, to potential investors and then get some money. And then uh, there's a long story from there and how the built the team got built, but. Team started getting built, right? And it started bringing on people. And Lord knows, uh, I would never have had a chance at making this game without my team. So, uh, at least yeah. all these now. No, that makes perfect sense. And uh, you, you mentioned that you got some funding. What was that process like? And what do you attribute being able to get the funding to? So, it's a few things. So, this is like my third time raising money. Um, I didn't raise a lot of money, to be clear. This wasn't like a, a standard venture mm-hmm. capital round where raising millions of dollars. This was like a you know a couple. You know, like less than a couple hundred grand, right? Like not a lot of money for cons- comparably to venture capital. It is a lot of money for some people, but to make a game really, it's not that much money. Uh, anyway, um, it was enough though to pay myself and pay most of my teammates and just like get get the ball rolling. But anyway, what the process was like. Um, so it kind of helps a lot depending on like, I, I know some of you guys here are probably listening, how do I raise money, right? Uh, so it depends on where you're at personally and then in your career. So when I first raised money, uh, when I right out of school, a big part of the reason why I chose to make that game rather than taking a triple A job is that one of my partners and I, we found some money. It wasn't a lot. It was like 35 grand to build Black Sea Odyssey, right? But at the time when we were like 23 years old and out of college, I was like, oh my God, we could work on this game forever, pay ourselves $300 a month and live in Moore's house, right? And that's what we did. Um, so that was my first foray into it, right? And we took very little money and we built a prototype and we pitched it to develop. We built a really good prototype. We pitched it. We didn't ask for a lot of money. We were able to get that money, right? Fast forward some time to where I am now. It's, you know, 2017. I've already done this a couple of times. My investors have made their money back. Uh, we made some money, right? I've, I've, I've got a track record of success. So at that mm-hmm. point, all I had to do was show them, hey, look, I got a video. People like it. Here's my resume. Then it wasn't very hard. And I wasn't asking for a lot of money again, relatively. So you have to, you know, you have to think from the investor's lens. Like, I think imagine yourself in a position where you have a lot of money. Imagine yourself as a person who's got a lot of money. This is, the, I think, the best mental framework you can do for this. And you want to make money, right? You don't want to just give your money away to someone. You need to be convinced that that person is going to make you money, right? So, so how are you as a as an entrepreneur or or a developer going to show them something that's going to validate to them? Hey, I'm going to take your two hundred thousand dollars, and I'm not going to just blow it because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to make you money, right? And one of the best ways you can do that if you don't have a lot and you don't have a resume is to build that prototype. And then if you want to take it a step further is you validate market success, which is what I did instead of building the prototype. I I, I made a YouTube video, which went viral. And I was like, hey, look, this can work. Uh, so mm-hmm. prototype, validate market success. And then from there, it's you know investor relations and network and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you didn't do a traditional deck. You kind of just had, here's the idea. Obviously, I'm the guy who can make it. Obviously, people want to see it and then brought that to them. You didn't have like, you know, five page decks of like, here's how other games have done and all that too. Or is that just parts of the conversations as well? 
Um, so in this specific instance with Virtual Battlegrounds, I did not build, I built like a three page deck, which is not a real deck. Um, and that was really just, the, so the person that I actually invested in this product, I already had a relationship with and was a previous investor. So I didn't need to show him as much, mm-hmm. but I will say the first time I raised money, I did build a very good deck. I wasn't got your standard, like pitch decks, at least if you're trying to get a produce, like a publisher, they're not as effective. We built like a GDD with like some business stuff in it. And it was like 30 pages long. Um, I'd be even willing to share it with some of you guys in here that are trying to raise money if you're a game developer. Um, now, that that's what we used for that time. So we did build deck for that case. Now, if you're trying to pitch to a venture capitalist, then it's a completely different process. I'm not a, as much of an expert there because I've never done mm-hmm. it. Um, it's more of a company thing than a game. Yeah, you guys went more like a traditional kind of publisher route where they gave you at least the initial capital you needed to kind of fund initially the development and then as things kept going you found new ways to supplement and make that money elsewhere correct where you would start doing some of the work you were doing on the consulting side yeah um good question john yeah obviously john, john and i we have a good relationship so he knows all about my business and uh <laughs> i read my contracts, the right questions. i know what happens <laughs> <laughs> you read my contracts so john knows all the right questions to ask uh yeah um so the, the money we raised, it wasn't enough. Uh, big surprise. Uh, I think this happens a lot. Games are hard to make, guys. They're really, really hard to make. <laughs> I only rec- only be a game developer if you're really damn passionate about it because, guys, they are hard to make. Um, and they cost a lot of money to do well because uh, you got to pay smart people to work on them because they're not going to work for free, right? It's just simple, simple stuff here. Um, anyway, yeah, so we had to make more money at some point, right? This was like 2018, late 2018. Maybe it's yeah, late 2018, and I really did not want to do contracting work, to be honest with you guys. When I first started my business, I was like, I only want to make video games. And, you know, I think it's a little bit naive. You know, there is like a, there is a, um, you know, services for other people, doing things for other people, right? Uh, especially those things are meaningful. Like, they actually are very rewarding. And um, I started getting into the service industry, CyberGen started getting into the service industry. We had a lot of really talented game developers in Central Florida, um, working for CyberDream, and I knew a lot of these people. And so I started bringing a lot of people together and we started doing contracts. And it's actually more than 60 or 70% of CyberDream's revenue right now. It's actually through contracts, the rest are games. And that additional revenue was able to, you know, uh, fulfill the rest of the needs financially for Virtual Battlegrounds towards to finish the game. And well, as maybe work on other games in the future too. So it's cool. Yeah, that's just, uh, the, the game industry has always been a little crazy to me in the sense that it's so hit driven in the sense of if you hit on something where it turns into gold, maybe you get Fortnite, you know, but the reality is what are the odds of that? A percent of a percent of a percent of a percent of a percent, you know, it's it's very, very low. So to me, I've always found it interesting when people turn toward more kind of flat revenue models instead of just the spike, because it gives you a lot more stability to kind of build something long-term where you can keep that team and continue to grow and scale from the smaller project to the medium-sized project to eventually kind of the the overly ambitious project you probably wanted to do straight out of school, you know? So it sounds like that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's that's exactly. And I, I don't think I so much tried to do that when I started the company. It was more of a something that had to happen at some point, right? There were some months where it was like, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay my employees? And I, I and it was, it, it was 
it was definitely a learning experience. It was it was challenging, but absolutely, I think at this point, John, you summed it up really well. Like the way we've built CyberGym at this point is we have this nice, like level, this like flat line of income, right? And it, this flat line is actually growing, um, but it's like it's a healthy growth curve, right? Which mm -hmm. I think is a more standard business model, and that's our contracting side of our business. And then we're and then we're hit driven with our games, right? Like we're mm -hmm. hoping that one day we're gonna make you know that half life, right? Or make that game that like everyone knows about, but you can't you can't you know do the mortgage, right? You can't, you can't do that for, for that kind of thing. You need a safety net. And that's what we're doing. You know, virtual battlegrounds has been, I would say it's a moderate success, right? Like we, we, we made our money back. We made our money back and we invested, but we're not like running away with priorities either. Right. Like we're, we're pretty like level with this. Now maybe, maybe the holiday season, something will happen. Maybe we'll, maybe not quite Ferrari level, but maybe we'll get a, you know, a nice BMW, right? I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, not <laughs> just next terminology that won't literally bump my BMW, but. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you uh, already have a pretty nice car. <laughs> I already have a pretty nice car, but that's not from Virtual Battlegrounds. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so so it's nice to have that safety net and then go for those hits, right? And that's what we want to do as a company. We want to, we want to go for hits. And hopefully CyberDream will still be a hit. We'll see, but we've got other games planned. I got some really ambitious things that I want to do mm -hmm. eventually, so. So just jumping back into virtual battlegrounds development a little bit, what were some of the bigger hiccups that you hit along the way that you weren't expecting? Um, there's, there's been a lot of hiccups. Um, the first thing was you know, VR and, and I didn't think I fully appreciated this uh, virtual reality games. There's, there's a lot of difficulty that comes with making them that I think consumers don't appreciate necessarily. Uh, or at least I didn't appreciate when I started developing and using as a developer. One is you have to you have to render the game twice, mm -hmm. so it already makes it twice as hard to get FPS, right? And most games run at like thirty to sixty, and a lot of like AAA's go thirty, right? And we're we have to run at ninety, so that's like three times as hard to hit at least as thirty, probably more like four or five times. And then you're rendering the game twice, and then we wanted to make an open world multiplayer game. So the performance constraints were extremely challenging as a small studio to get a game that actually ran well. And I didn't appreciate how hard this would be. We literally rebuilt our game probably two or three times just wow. to get performance to work. And that was one thing where like, I, I think that I might've actually been able to make the game by myself if that wasn't the case, right? I might've actually been able to, or at least like it wouldn't have been as good, but I might've been able to do it. But there's no way, like when I had to re, like it's when I got to that point, like six months in, like I gotta rebuild this entire freaking game. It's not gonna run. Like I'm getting like 20, 25 FPS. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know what to do. I had to like rebuild every asset. I gotta like redo a lot of the code. Um, so that was a huge hiccup. And then there's a ton of design challenges that come with VR um, that I kind of knew were gonna happen, um, but I wasn't really fully appreciative of how difficult they'd be. Like, how do you make weapons feel good? How do you make these things feel good? VR is that is a marketplace where it's, very everything's very undiscovered and usually you're trying to discover the correct answers whereas if you go out and, and you build like a general fps a lot of those answers are already, like how do you do a joystick well everyone knows that mm -hmm. how do you shoot well everyone knows how to do that right and if you are it's like well how do i move well i don't i don't maybe you use a joystick maybe we build a new locomotion system and we did and people really like it um so it's kind of that interesting discovery process anyway so what about um, how like hardware yeah. limitations and all that? Is that something you think about when making these games? Like obviously for your market research, you have to think about the price, but like I obviously know that with VR, there's only so many things that can actually do them. And the system itself requires not only a system that can run it, but the device itself. Um, so do you see that still being an issue for VR going forward? Do you think we're hopefully going to get to a way that can kind of, you know, make that a little bit easier for, for VR to sort of, like to grow more than it is now? 
Yeah, I definitely think better hardware would make it easier, right? Like we could, like a lot of guys, they look at, a lot of consumers, they look at VR games and go, oh, why does it look like crap? It's like, well, it's because it's like, we got to get 90 FPS, we got to render it twice, right? If I were to take, I, my game actually would get like 350 FPS on a regular desktop. <laughs> so people don't know, but it, it only gets like 90, right, in, in VR. Um, but yeah, uh, I, better hardware would help. I'm not banking on it anytime soon. I, I think there's some really amazing technologies that are going to be coming out soon. I, I know when, for us specifically for Virtual Battlegrounds, uh, we you know we were 1060 GTX uh, i5, like that's min spec for VR. So there, it's, those are actually pretty nice specs. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was nice. Now when the Quest came out, that was a major curveball. We're, we're probably mm -hmm. not going to go to Quest anytime soon because it's essentially a mobile chipset. But I, I think what will really make VR, this is like future talk, but I think what will really make VR um, very compelling for mainstream audiences is when they figure out how to do some sort of cloud rendering or or, or cloud-based uh, like hardware, software. What, what I mean by that is like if you can have a supercomputer uh, directly play your game for you, right, and then you're just rendering it on your screen, which they kind of have done in some of this, but the issue right now is latency. Um, like the, the, I think like the NVIDIA did something like this. But anyway, basically imagine like you have a really cheap headset, it's like $150, and there's a supercomputer out in Texas or whatever nearby or to your house, wherever you live, and it's rendering all this gameplay for you and sending it to your headset directly. I think we're actually closer to that. People realize with like 5G and some other things. So there'll be a point when we can have the best possible graphics you can imagine on a $200 headset. And I don't think that that's as far away as people realize. So I think that's what really be game changing. For almost kind of along the lines of like what Microsoft's trying to do with xCloud, where they want you to be able to play Xbox games on at least an Android device right now. Hopefully Apple eventually, because I've got one of those, you know, but like that's its own ball of wax right now with everything going on with them. Um, but I definitely think that would be a super interesting route for this stuff to go long term. And it's just starting to deal with some of the the issues we have almost geographically and politically in a lot of ways with Internet speeds, you know, like uh, that that last mile issue. It doesn't really matter how good you know, the connection is in certain areas, it's, you're going to have a hard time getting it to the end users, you know? Yeah, that's a challenge. And it's an infrastructure thing. It's it's a little disheartening as a developer because you, you see the technology so close and you want to build something like that because you know what it's capable of. But then you look at your total addressable market and you go, well, you we can't build this right now. It sucks. Maybe in a few more years. And that's kind of what I mean by that right now. It's like right now the technology is it's starting to exist. Like this technology talking about exists. Like you said, you know, Microsoft is working on it, Google Stadia, mm -hmm. but but it's not, you know, not everyone has a one gigabyte up and down, right? Uh, and hopefully that'll change in time because I really want to make that thing. Cause I that that you know, if, if you guys want the ready player one, that's what it's gonna be built on, right? It's gonna be built on that thing. Uh, or that that sort of cloud infrastructure. So I, I want to do eventually make that and I hope it changes, but it's gonna be a, an infrastructure problem, right? And like that's more political. And I can't. <laughs> well, the thing too is because with like say you know current situation COVID and all that kind of stuff, it feels like now would be the best time for VR because people are at home. They're obviously buying more games than they've done before, but they could use the escapism. I mean, the fact that Microsoft Simulator is as popular is is because you get to fly around the world from your house now, and it looks amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's like VR is almost like it, it. I wish it was a little more set up because this would be the time for it to really shine. I 100% agree with you right now. There's a lot of companies out there raising money, building all kinds of awesome solutions for virtual reality. I got a friend who wants to build like bring education home and VR. I think there's there's really great time for it. I, I do think the technology and the adoption is a little too early, right, for it to go super mainstream, like you're saying, mm -hmm. and more to happen. 
but it is a great time for VR. The big part of the reason why we released Virtual Battlegrounds when we did was because everyone was home. We actually wanted to wait to release until probably closer to Christmas this year, but we're like, let's get it out early. Everyone's home right now. There's not a better market time. No games are releasing right now. Let's drop it. And that's, I think that definitely was a big part of our, our launch success was our market timing. Um, and then, yeah, so it's a good time right now for VR, I'd say. And I wish it was a little further along because I think there's a lot of more problems that could be solved with, with VR. Well, I know for me, even I just bought my VR headset for myself, like maybe two months ago. I tried to get one when COVID first started happening and it was, they're sold out. You know, same thing with switches, same thing with a lot of cheap laptops, same thing with every single webcam on the planet, you know, like the market demand is now there suddenly, you know, but the supply was anticipating normal levels and not for what has happened. You know, this is kind of an unpredictable kind of situation. Um, What was the headset you were developing with? What were you using? So, I mean, we, we developed on every major okay. HMD because we got to test them all. Um, yeah. But so we buy Oculus Index, nice. all of them. So from your end, what's it been like running a game studio during COVID? It's been interesting. I, I think, you know, pretty much every business is, is challenged right now, some more so than others. We're, we're actually extremely fortunate, I think, as a company um, and as a discipline to be able to work from home um, and to be able to still make money right now. It's really, it's, it, and not to get too political, but it's sad to see all the, you know, the people out of work right now and not be able to, you know, to work. Uh, so we're really fortunate to be able to work. Uh, with that being said, how's it actually running it? It's actually ran fairly well. Um, my team, I thankfully, I've built up a pretty good team of people at this point, right? And I trust them. Uh, we've got a really good way to track uh, productivity and people have been as productive or maybe even more so working from home. Uh, I know initially, like when we first started working from home, like everyone was like doubling their productivity. And I was like, guys, trying to prove a point here, like yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And then we've so we've like returned to, I think about normalcy right now, mm-hmm. which, is, which is awesome. Uh, we're, you know, we're, still, we're still being productive. I think it's still going good. And I'm actually enjoying it. I will say I'm, I have a nice office. You know, you guys can see it and it's nice working mm-hmm. here, but I'm, I miss going into like talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to like go back. I feel like it's like, even though I'm working from home is nice. I do want to like, my, 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 my coworkers, my employees are my friends and I want to like be around them occasionally. So I, I do, I do miss that. Uh, maybe we'll have some kind of hybrid suit, you know, solution whenever, you know, this uh, pandemic closes. You know, hopefully. I, at, at least for me, I think <laughs> a hybrid solutions like the optimal one. Cause that's pretty much what I'd been doing from the start. Cause for me, I'd go into the office probably four days a week and stay home one day, you know, and maybe some weeks I might go in five, some weeks I might go in two, you know, and it's, it's just nice to have the flexibility when you need it, but also to not lose out on all of the camaraderie slash ability to brainstorm and all the benefits of having people physically near you that you can talk to, you know, that's kind of why I liked working out of a, a co-working space as much as I have. You know, uh, being out of the Orlando game space, at least for me, has been helpful in that regard because I have people who I can kind of go to and talk to. Whereas when I'm working from home right now, I have my dog, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit of a different change there for sure. Yeah, it was it was brought up even during the conversation with Kyle Moran that you lose a kind of the right now we're losing kind of that spark creative where you just walk into the see somebody in the mm-hmm. middle of the office and you talk about some stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, if it doesn't happen during your visual meeting it won't happen. Like those conversations, those spark ideas don't happen that just like they naturally used to when you used to run into each other or sit down in a room and just shoot it together. It's uh, that is something that I think is missing for all creatives right now. It's it's definitely also a little bit of that out of sight, out of mind kind of feeling where, you know, a lot of deal flow happens because 
you are having those face-to-face meetings and face-to-face settings where you can kind of, you know, communicate um, back and forth. And when you kind of lose that, you stop thinking as much about other people that you're working with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, moving into the, you know, the game space with you, John, and all those other companies in there, I'm 100% certain I, my business would not have been half as successful as it is right now if I did not make that decision, right? Because of one, all the creativity that that happens in a place like that, an environment like that. I mean, I think like Google and a lot of these bigger companies, they literally, they have rooms like this where you just hang out and then you, you have creative discussions, right? And we do that a lot there. And so absolutely. And then in terms of deal flow too, I mean, meeting Troy and you and all these, Kyle and all these other businesses, uh, I've learned so much just by interacting with all these other people. So I do highly recommend for those of you that are, you know, young entrepreneurs or, or, or when I say young, I mean, in terms of your business, not necessarily your age, right? I know entrepreneurs are much older that have been successful as well as young um, in terms of age. Uh, when it, so young in terms of their company, um, co-working space is a great, especially if you can find a good community. Uh, it's more about the community in the space itself. Uh, find a good community, moving into a space like that is really beneficial and has been very beneficial for me, just being around this other people, like-minded people. Help you out. I know you mentioned pretty early on that you kind of wished you'd, found some mentors and people like that, that you could have learned from, you know, early on, have you found some people like that, that you can, you know, um, a little is that bit. still something you're looking for or are you well, trying to be that for the other people? It's a, it's a bit, so I'm definitely being that for other people. I will, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat successful right now, but I'm, I wouldn't consider myself like a mega success right at this point. I, you know, I want to, I'm not a hundred person studio yet. Right. I'm like a 15. Mm-hmm. I want to be hundred percent and I'm barely like we're, I still don't, I can what's really nice and for the first time in my life, I'm not worried about how am I going to pay my employees next month. I'm thinking about how am I going to pay my employees six months from now, which is a really nice place to be. I've never been there before. <laughs> but when I can think about how am I, you know, maybe a year or two, then I, then I maybe I'll be like, all right, I've made it, right? But I haven't made it yet. So I'm still figuring it out. Um, but uh, I, I do have some mentors, like, a, uh, you know, obviously I have a lot of like, uh, I don't know if mentors right word, but a, a lot of like, uh, God, What's the, what's the right word? Like John, what do, what do we call each other? Like, what do we, uh, you know, like, like, like people that are on like a, a similar playing field. Yeah, right? Peers almost. Yeah. Peers, yeah peers. So I have a lot of great peers. Um, and then I, I, so someone like uh, Chance Glasgow, he's mm-hmm. one of the founders of uh, Activision and Call of Duty franchise. Uh, he, he's actually been a, a pretty uh, great mentor talking with him. He's in Orlando, um, full sale, uh, I think Hall of Famer. Uh, and you know, being the guy that one of the guys that made Call of Duty is a pretty big deal, right? And he's around, and I've talked to him occasionally. Uh, and then Kunal Patel, um, who's like one of the first people to really advise me, and it's just in a business sense and show me ropes in Orlando. He was massively instrumental in the first couple of years, and he, he helped the business, a you real know, fat merchant, grow to the company is today. I think they're a hundred million dollar plus valuation on their company. A different, you know, it's a tech industry, but it's 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 not games, right? But it's fairly mm-hmm. similar. And then there's someone like Augie too, who I talk with occasionally, who's, who's been very successful with his company, you know, in his game Dungeon Defender. So I, there's people around. Um, I'd say right now, probably the best relationships with with Chance and and Kunal, and they've been very helpful. So there's some people in Central Florida and Florida making it happen. So it's nice to have that. Um, well, it's awesome to hear you mention Chance, just because he actually is our guest for next week. <laughs> so for anybody watching, you'll get to hear from Chance next week. And we'll be talking about some cool stuff with him because he's one of those people that I've sat down and talked with and probably heard the same story five or six times, but it never sounds the same because there's always some new wrinkle to it that is just super interesting. And yeah, he, he's fun. got just fascinating perspectives, having worked for as long as he did on a franchise like Call of Duty. For sure. 
Yeah. Um, so I know I cut you off a little bit earlier when you were kind of talking about what your plans are for like the holidays and VBG and kind of trying to re-energize the player base. What are you planning that you can share with us now? You know? Yeah. So I'm actually going to do a podcast on my own uh, for my company tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we do, we do them like um, bi-weekly or monthly, right. Uh, and give them an update. I'm going to be updating them tomorrow on this, but basically uh, you know, our player counts have been, have been getting lower. And we did some events. We did like a cash tournament like a month ago and we had some issues with it. So right now our company, our studio's main focus is we want to make virtual battlegrounds really good. Like we're working on virtual battlegrounds and we already think it's, it's like actually we're for the, which is like awesome. We like, this is our team's goal was to get our ratings on Steam back to very positive And they got back there this last week. So that feels really good. Um, and then we're, we're like, okay, we're going to keep focusing on these things we want to build. And then as soon as they're done, which we're thinking is going to be like late September, we're going to start marketing the game a lot. Uh, so we, we want to really season two. So we're going to have all this new content. Uh, we're going to, uh, we're actually talking with some, some larger influencers, maybe doing some partnerships uh, for marketing and that kind of thing. Uh, and then go for a really big push during the holiday season and see if we can get back in that top spend slot. But we don't want to do it until we feel the game is like really there. Like when we launched, we, like I was saying, we maybe launched a little early and we recognize a lot of the issues and our players have a lot of concerns. And we want to like clean all those up, make the game super polished push hard during the holiday season for, for marketing. So that's our current plan. I know you did a tournament earlier this year and you and I have talked about VR esports in the past, but what are your thoughts on that as like kind of a, a future kind of frontier for esports? Because for me, at least the interesting thing is how it kind of combines some level of physicality with also the, you know, dexterity and stuff that's required for video games. Yeah, so I'm I'm a huge fan of VR esports. I do think that you know it's early right now, and I would not look at the current VR esports scape and go, "Oh, this is it." That's not. I think you have to use your imagination. You really have to use your imagination to think about where VR esports can be. So, I, so I'm like, so first of all, I'm a huge fan of like Riot Games and League of Legends. I, I watch. I'm watching their tournaments right now. Mm-hmm. They're in, uh, they're coming up a World Season as well. Dota and and, and uh, Counter Strike, like all these games have done. And I was there like back in like the StarCraft days, or at least like <laughs> I was like twelve. Right, I used to watch them back then, and no one even cared. And it's this, it's a re, it's it's evolutionized so much, revolutionized so much. Um, but to, to, I think to see the future for what VR esports can be, you just you just kind of like imagine, like okay, imagine. So I, I'm also like an, a wrestler. I used to wrestle in college, so but and I'm somewhat of a physical athlete. I guess is what I'm getting at. But imagine like you can blend those two, like you were getting at John, right? So imagine you have. Um, uh, you know, a scenario where there's guys on plat- on a platform, right? And then a big, maybe like I imagine like Super Bowl, like Coliseum, right? And these dudes are all decked out in VR and they're playing some, maybe some sort of sword fighting game. And they're like running around and they're jumping and it's very physical. Like you could be there in person and watch them and be like, damn, that looks cool. These guys are athletes. And then there's a, there's, there's a layer, another layer of reality right on top of it, right? They're running around, they're jumping, they're at, they're like, you know, doing like gymnastics level stuff. And then in VR, they're like these avatars, these actual avatars, these characters, and maybe they're like actually fighting dragons and they're riding around in the clouds, right? Like there's all, that's just kind of like scratching the surface, but it gets the idea of where it can be in the future. And I really do think it's going to be huge. I think in our lifetime, I think in the next 10 years, we'll start to see it. In the next 20, it's going to be super prevalent, uh, especially for mainstream, younger. I think like the next generation, especially, we're going to see like some absolutely mind-blowingly ridiculously cool VR esports things happen in the future, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time. Technology's going to be better. There's going to be more adoption. And we're going to start seeing it more. You know, VR ML is doing a great job of starting to build a VR esports scene, but I I wouldn't look at that and think this is all VR esports can do, right? Like think, you got to use your imagination. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. 
What about EVR for like esports? I know people have worked. I know. I think it was um, who does Half Life? Um, Valve. All of them were working on like how to like VR watch esports like live as if you were like in an arena watching them. Is that something that is going to be? like bigger going forward. I keep thinking like if League of Legends keeps doing what they're doing. It'd be fun to feel like you're in an arena with the guys that are playing. You know, is that something that you think is coming yeah. more soon or? It's so funny you said that because I, there's, I, we, we had built a pitch, which was what you just said for some, some investors like six months ago. And when we kind of decided, let's, let's focus on virtual battlegrounds. Maybe we'll come back to it later. But I absolutely do think that at some point, someone's going to figure out a way to uh, replicate something like a Coliseum experience in virtual reality, and you could go there with thousands of people and, and watch it live. It's actually something we might be interested in building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Cyber Dream, you know, we've we've got the tech for it, we got the people for it. We, we think it's something that could be really cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I, we might be like even just going to watch regular, you know, League of Legends, mm-hmm. but uh, in in VR, right? There might be ways yeah. to do that. Imagine just going to regular, you know, or you know, Call of Duty or whatever. Just going to a Coliseum, thousands of other people in VR. You're hanging out. You're talking to a guy. Uh, and, and then you're watching the game in front of you. Uh, and it could be for other kinds of sports too. Aside yeah, I, I definitely think it's super interesting kind of new frontier in a lot of ways. Yep. Because like you said, like when you go to a, a sporting event, a lot of what makes it so exciting is being there. Yep. I know even for me, when I went to uh, Riot's midseason invitational when they did it in Tallahassee, even though they it was very bare bones by comparison to when they've sold out the Barclays Center or you know, done the Staples Center and stuff like that. It was still pretty epic to just be there with a bunch of people mm-hmm. screaming and chanting and just excited to watch an esports event, you know? So I, I definitely think that's a, a new frontier. I think a lot of people are trying to figure this out, whether it's, you know, bars trying to figure out how they get people to come in and watch esports or movie theaters trying to figure out how they get people to come in and watch esports. Uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff, what do you think is going to be the real driver that causes someone to kind of come out ahead? Are you, are you talking about? Uh, are you talking about like what? What's going to be the thing for VR specifically that causes someone to? I, I would say VR and non VR as well. Okay. I'm just curious, even like if you have an opinion on like, let's assume that COVID goes away in a year or two. You know sure. what? What is going to be the thing that causes people to start wanting to watch these on places other than say Twitch? Um, so I, I think the reason you, you go in VR and, and you were to watch a sporting event or do some kind of event as opposed to going in Twitch is going to be the, the kind of experience you can get that you're not going to have through Twitch. And, and that's why I think makes VR so compelling is the experience itself, right? So what I mean by that is like, okay, right now you watch Twitch. Like, so if I'm watching Twitch here in my monitor, it's cool. It's a, it's a great video, but I'm, I'm pretty isolated. Maybe you and I could be in a call together and we could talk, but we're, we're losing that that those other senses that we could get through VR, right? So like if you and I were instead to put on a headset, I could literally be in the stadium with you or close mm-hmm. to it, close to looking like a real stadium. You could be sitting there next to me. We could virtually high five. We can laugh. There could be someone right there in front of us who says some Twitch meme, which is now mm-hmm. whatever VR meme thing in front of us. Like we laugh about that. Maybe we have our little virtual poster that we that we bought with our virtual coins or maybe we made it mm-hmm. ourselves. And we like walking up and down the stairs. Maybe there's like guys up in the front all like doing a chant together, right? Like, like you have that stadium experience at home, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's really amazing. And really, like when you think about it like that, and you can't do that, you know, just do Twitch. So I think that would be one factor. There's a lot of other things you could do, but that's, that's the most, at least to me initially, the most compelling thing. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Mainly just because like, we, 
a lot of esports uh, e in general is kind of always piggybacked on the size of the crowds that it draws because mm -hmm. that's the exciting thing to show. And I just think that we're definitely not getting back to that at any point in time. But I do think that people sure would love to just get with all their people again to cheer on, you know, TSM or whoever it is. They just want to get behind their people while they're playing. And I think this just seems like the way the way we should be going. Yeah, um, you're, you're making me excited about the idea of pitching because I'm <laughs> thinking about pitching this stuff again when it comes to holiday season because I, I do think that the timing is really good. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, John. <laughs> no, just drop the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just like, yeah, man, why am I doing this right now? Because I, I literally had this pitch, Justin. I, like, mm -hmm. I, I believe this thing we're talking about, I, I have a deck for it, a business deck. I, went, I was actually in London uh, last year pitching this, mm -hmm. or not, it was earlier this year pitching this idea, and it actually was really well-received. We, we were pretty close to writing up some contracts, but um, I kind of – I was like, uh, I got a little, dis not so much discouraged, but I changed my focus back to Virtual Battlegrounds, which I think was really wise at the time because I needed to get the game out. But uh, maybe that could be our next step. I think it would be even good to talk about it. the thing I don't like right now with current esports, even the bigger ones, Overwatch League, uh, CDL, all of them, is that when we're trying to explain to the the average person like tactics or why what's happening, we're never really getting into the game to show it. Kind of the way when NFL explains a play, they're digging mm -hmm. down on the field. Like I feel like VR is also missing a thing to, as a component for you know all these other major leagues. How can you get inside the game and learn? Like why are these people positioning right here? And somebody could be on the screen being explaining, even if they're going to collegiate esports, this guy's set up here because that part, but you're in the game, you know what I mean? Right. You can stand mm -hmm. there and show it. And, you know, being able to implement more VR to accent these already major esports, I think is just a thing we're missing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So th there's ways to um, do exactly what you're talking about, mm -hmm. Justin, uh, where it really, so it's, it's actually really, it's much more difficult to do what you just said mm -hmm. for a lot of games. It depends. So uh, what you can, this is a little technical, but, what you can actually do is you can like serialize all the data that's happening. So like, I think a lot of bigger companies do this, like Riot does this, where they're like saving all the positions and all this stuff, right? And then you could take all that data and then you could push it forward to some sort of streaming service in VR. But basically long story short is if they're doing that, there's a way where you could like, yeah, actually walk down, you know, yeah. Summer's Rift and like see it from the VR first person perspective. And you could do this not in VR too, right? But it would be cool in VR as well as other games, right? As long as the, the those, companies are serializing that data and then the, this whatever service is using to host it can somehow get that data and then use it. But yeah, it is possible. It is hard to do that. Very actually challenging. Yeah, we we have an interesting question from chat directly for you, Sean, yeah. about have you thought about trying to do like a VR spectator mode within virtual battlegrounds to do a lot of what you're talking about just to prove the concept? It's a great question. Uh, yes. And, and that is, I think the next step we would take, uh, uh, for this idea, right, would, would be to do it with Battlegrounds. It's kind of been one of, so there's, there's like a few different, honestly, thoughts that I have for my next apps, and I'm kind of deciding it and, and personally in terms of business. But uh, if we decide to go that route, uh, that would be our next step, right? Would be to to prove to ourselves that it works and use Virtual Battlegrounds as a testing base. And I've kind of thought of Virtual Battlegrounds always as a, as a kind of first title for the company that would accelerate mm -hmm. our position to do something bigger next. Um, it might be that, okay, we go, okay, that would be really well. Let's start building this spectator app. And, and mm -hmm. I think it would be more than a spectator app, right? But on a, on a surface level, at mm -hmm. first, it could be the spectator app. We use Virtual Battlegrounds as a test bay. We've already got a user in a community, a user-based community built around it. They can also use it for this. And then some, and then maybe start working on another game as well that also takes advantage of this. Um, and, and kind of like Valve is a good example, right? So Valve is this hyper, you know, obviously extremely successful game studio that builds Steam as a platform. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about doing for CyberDream. I, I got to be careful. This is uh, I got to be careful how many eggs I decided to go there, right? Because we have contracting 
whatever game studio mm-hmm. and do it on the little platform because that, that's a lot. Um, and it, it sounds like a lot too when you say it like that. And, and it really, it really is. And I, that was my idea the last year or so, but I'm kind of like taking a step back and like calming down a little bit, focusing mm-hmm. on the and the games and the, and the game and the, and the contracting. I do like the idea of building a platform though. Like I'm very excited about the idea. So I'm kind of like, do I want to do this? Like, mm-hmm. am I really going to go into this? I got to be careful if, if I do this. I think the key is going to be smart hiring people that can. Well, like- I, I think that also just shows how much you've kind of developed, you know, yourself from where you started with, you know, VBG. Because, you know, when you first did it, you're like, I can do this on my own in like a year. And now you're starting to realize, okay, I've already got this. I got to wear this hat for this. I got to wear this hat for that. If I do this, I'm going to need a lot of help. I'm going to need the money. I'm going to need to make sure I can split my time, you know, and without the other ones kind of, you know, dropping the ball a little bit. So it's just super cool to see, you know, how far you've come from day one to where you are now, both as a company and a game, you know, and a person. So that's awesome. Um, I would say uh, at least just kind of wrap up a little bit. Is there anything you would kind of like to let people know about the game or Cyber Dream or yourself or just anything you would like to chat about? Um, yeah. Uh, so if, if you're into VR, definitely check out Virtual Battlegrounds. You can just Google it. It'll come up on Steam. Buy it there. Awesome, awesome game. You like VR. Hop on our Discord. we got a really active community. If you're a, a, develop, if you're a developer, a gamer, whatever, hop on our Discord. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, an investor, or something else along those lines, feel free to reach out to me personally on my LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn slash Sean Pinnick. Just look up Sean Pinnick. You'll find me on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, anything at all, guys, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm here to help you out uh, or, or whatever. You just want to chat, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. Yeah, and I'll get all those links from you and just compile them just kind of like at the show notes below so people can find them real easy. Mm. But I just want to say thank you so much, Sean, for uh, hopping on and joining us and chatting. Uh, this has been super awesome. Yeah. And uh, really appreciate just getting to learn from you and some of the feedback you were able to share with us. Uh, Thank you, John. It was a pleasure being on here. Uh, Those are great questions. Uh, And really, really kind of got to the heart of it. So thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you. See (laughs) you.